Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGall, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.mcgaugh, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode on Follow the Brand. Today, we have a very special guest. He's going to talk to us today about the social determinants of health and how it truly impacts all of us, whether we are in in a situation where we are low income or we are high income and how we are affected as a, a group of people when it comes to health outcomes. I want to welcome Dr. Luther Brewster. Dr. Luther Brewster's background is in community development. He has worked both in the private and public sectors since beginning his career in 2003. Dr. Brewster has held academic and research positions at the City University of New York and the University of Michigan. He served as consultant for the expansion of the 125th Street Business Improvement District in Harlem, New York, and the Arsenal FC Emirates Stadium Housing Regeneration Project in London, England. The focus of Dr. Brewster's work is on the identification and correction of health risks created by projects, programs, and policies that typically are not viewed as having a relationship to health. He has a consistent track record of implementing grassroots strategies to address community concerns. In 2005, Dr. Brewster joined Florida International University as founding faculty in the Robert Stemple College of Public Health and Social Work. In March of 2008, he became founding faculty at FIU Herbert Wortham College of Medicine to lead the development of their community-based initiatives. As founding chief of the Division of Policy, Research Community Development and the Director of Green Family Foundation Neighborhood Help, which is the Health Education Learning Program, Dr. Beecher oversaw the development of a broad network of more than 150 community partners and the recruitment and retention of more than 1,600 households for the Green Family Foundation Medicine and Society Community-Based Educational Activities. He was also the co-founder of the FIU Aetna Health Policy Analysis Academy, a joint venture with the Party Rant Graduate School to develop healthcare strategies 
aimed at addressing the social determinants of health. In July 2010, Dr. Brewster was a recipient of the prestigious Marshall Memorial Fellowship through the German Marshall Fund, which brings together Americans and Europeans to increase understanding and to build transatlantic networks among the political, media, business, and nonprofit communities. He is a member of the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education Review Committee for Thoracic Surgery and former chair of Miami Homes for All and board member of Health Foundation of South Florida in Miami, Florida. Dr. Brewster also serves on the Technical Advisory Committee for the Consortium for Resilient Gulf Communities, an initiative to assess and address the social, economic, and public health impacts of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico region. Currently, Dr. Brewster serves as the Senior Executive Dean for Community Health Innovation at Roseman University College of Medicine in Las Vegas, Nevada. In this role, he will oversee several community medicine and healthcare delivery initiatives for high-risk and medically underserved patient populations across Southern Nevada. The first of these initiatives will be Roseman Genesis, a home visitation approach that combines healthcare and social services provided in the home and advanced technology solutions. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Luther Brewster. This is Grant McGall, your host on Follow the Brand. And today we have another special guest. He's coming to us all the way from Las Vegas, but he did spend some quality time in South Florida and he hails from the good state of New York. And I'm not going to talk about, he might be a Knicks fan. He might be a Nets fan. I don't know. You know, but we're going to find out the story of Luther Brewster. He is a, a dean. He has been stellar in the healthcare industry. He understands it from the ground up when it comes to human factors. And we're going to find out a lot more about that as we talk about his personal brand and how he has used it to craft his, his story. So without further ado, I'm going to bring up Mr. Luther Brewster. Thank you very much, Grant. Um, please call me Lou. Call me Lou. Everybody right, calls go me Lou. You know, I, um, I, want to, I want to make sure I pay deference to my dad. Uh, he's, he's the real Luther that walks this planet. And so, um, you know, I, I, if I can walk, you know, one step behind him, I'm still excelling. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. But um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the gracious in- introduction. Um, yes, it is. It has definitely been a journey um, from the Bronx, New York. Uh, part of that journey has been difficult watching my New York Knicks lose. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but I stay steadfast with them. I'm going I'm, I'm, till, till, till the wheels come off. I'm going to ride with them. Yep. And uh, but yes, I, I, I have a very uh, a deep love and affection for Miami. Uh, Miami was very good to me, um, you know, and if I can plug one thing about Miami, uh, it would be that, you know, um, if there are young professionals out there, uh, I was able to do things in Miami that I had to wait my turn on in other cities. And, you know, um, my dad, uh, and you'll 
if there's any one theme, you you know, uh, you're going to hear me reference my mom and dad a lot. Um, and the reason being is, is that um, if you were to ask me what is the one thing the older Lou would tell the younger Lou, it would be listen to your parents. Even at this age, even at 50, you know, 51 years old, I would say, listen to your parents. And it's not just, you know, my parents kind of represent a metaphor of something much bigger, which is, you know, we think uh, that the world, because it's changing so rapidly, that the fundamental truths that your parents or people who are older than you tell you no longer apply. And sadly, um, uh, if you want to differentiate yourself as a professional, uh, one strategy I believe is true is to listen to your mom and dad or listen to the person that has walked the, the earth longer than you um, and not uh, uh, marginalize them because you think that they are outdated or the things they're telling you are outdated. You know, uh, somehow, some way the Bible is continues to, to provide people lessons years later. Somehow, some way, uh, libraries are filled with books that weren't dated in 2020 and still provide valuable information. And so if there are books that can do that, then there's obviously people who can do the same. And so uh, one of the things that uh, my dad told me that really sticks with me is if you if you do it right, if you do it right, you'll spend half your life talking and half your life listening. Mm-hmm. And if you if you find yourself out of balance, then shut up for a year and <laughs> see what you <laughs> learn. <laughs> you know, and see what you learn, right? And so, um, and so, you know, I, I I'm um, I'm a big proponent for you know. For, for that and 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 my dad told me you know don't don't keep living in major market cities uh they're built on tradition they don't they, they're not set up for the young person to break through find a new market and build that build in that market and so lo and behold you know i had lived before prior to that i lived in new york and london and a number of very established cities um Michigan and, and could not uh, be heard as far as my idea. It was sort of like, that's a great idea. Either give it to somebody older than you or, um, or you know, sit in the corner and wait your turn. Got to Miami and basically did the work that I had always wanted to do. Uh, received all this acclaim for doing the work, but the idea was there five, 10 years previous, but I just couldn't get a chance. So I tell young professionals, especially uh, those young and hungry um, um, people who are out there ready to do it, you know, uh, go to a smaller, younger market and and prove to yourself that you really are what you think you are. I I love the, the intro you just gave and some of the wisdom from experience that you just talked about. And that's going to be very, very impactful especially our listening listening audience. And I want you to, because you, you kind of got to the middle of your of your journey. Now, it goes all the way to the, to the Bronx. And I, from listening to what you just said, you had a very good upbringing. You had two good mentors that guided you. How did that impact you? How did you get into this realm? Matter of fact, you're a dean 
right, uh, of a STEAM college. I know you're down right. here, so you're I'm at a, FIU, right? Right. I was at I was at FIU um, in, in in Miami, but now I am uh, the senior executive dean for community health innovation uh, at Roseman uh, College of Medicine here out in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, in the Summerlin area. Uh, those of you who spend any time in the Las Vegas area are familiar with Summerlin. Um, and we are um, founding a medical school here, uh, just like we did in South Florida. Um, and um, the, uh, the goal here is to create um, the medical school of the future. Mm -hmm. And so um, this medical school and the work that myself and my colleagues are doing uh, um, re represents something that I think has been sorely missing um, in, in healthcare, and that is people care. And so, um, but I want to go back to your original question about sort of my, my time growing up and, and sort of how I arrived at where I arrived at. Uh, yes, I'm from the Bronx, New York. I'm very, very proud of that. Um, but I didn't, um, if I'm being all the way candid and honest, I didn't always uh, wear that as a badge of honor um, professionally. Uh, I, for many years, used to feel very insecure, very uptight about my accent. And um, it wasn't until I went to a presentation by a very well-known researcher who just happened to hail from Kentucky, who had a very thick Southern drawl. And uh, I remember asking him, you know, do, do you ever, you know, uh, were you ever concerned about your accent or whatever? And he said, no, he said, because I don't want a young person from Kentucky to think that just because of the way they talk, they can't reach the highest levels of anything they want to go into. He's like, so I just figured, you know, um, this is who I am and this is who I'll be. Uh, but I, but it does not detract from my ability to, to, uh, to be about excellence. And so I, I, ever since then, have kind of just leaned into it and that I, I am who I am. But the big lesson I took from, from growing up in the Bronx and, and what spearheaded everything that I have done subsequently was um, I came from a family that um, was not probably too dissimilar to most people in the Bronx, uh, very hardworking, very well-intentioned, uh, but also surrounded by uh, many of the trappings and, and roadblocks in life uh, that set back so many families throughout the country and all over the world. And, and uh, several of my family members have uh, um, found um, uh, some difficulty in life, but some have also been very successful. But the thing that really struck me about my family was, was that for those who... Um, um, did achieve success and those who didn't, um, the, 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 the spirit of their heart, um, the, the, the amount of love they showed me, the intent that they had in investing in me was the same, despite what they achieved in life. And so what I could never understand is, is how is a person who could bestow such wisdom on me, such love, such compassion, um, end up in such a bad circumstance? And so I always tell people, I, I've never had a profession or a field. I've had a mission. And, and the reason I say that is, is that healthcare just is um, a vehicle 
to achieve my life mission. It is not um, who I have allegiance to. My allegiance is to uh, all those people who are like my family, who for no um, reason but circumstance um, are good-natured individuals, loving, compassionate individuals, who for the absence of a possible opportunity, one different chance, one additional person to believe in them could be in the seat that I'm sitting in right now. But even greater than that, the fact that I am sitting in this seat, um, what they achieved in life or did not achieve in life does not um, uh, eliminate them from my legacy and from what and from their legacy. And so um, and so the people that I work with and work on behalf of my whole career have always been those who have been underserved, low income, um, working poor, working middle class. Um, those individuals who, like I said, with just a little more of an opportunity, one break here or there, uh, can can see that their child or their grandchild achieve heights that we'll never know. You can only spend but so much time trying to cream the top. At some point, you got to, you know, um, uh, dig deeper in society. And, and that's for the benefit of us all. Let me let me stop you there because you're on a good track right there. Because the difference, the difference, you know, something happened in your world that defined your personal brand and how you were able to elevate and make that 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 leap that that change was it a change in environment was it a, a school i mean what what is about when your personal brand has helped you in your career to be successful so um i'm a strong believer um that excellence exists in the future um and so that's where I need to reside. Um, if I told you, Grant, you know, hey, you know, um, I wanna, I wanna play golf like Tiger Woods, okay? You wouldn't expect tomorrow for me to wake up and play like Tiger Woods. In your mind, you would immediately say, if he's gonna do that, I'll, I'll you know, I'll see him in about five, ten years or more. Um, and he may be on the path of being like Tiger Woods because his excellence, the level of excellence he would need, would will need to exist in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, I don't, you see me today, but I don't exist here. Um, I exist in the future. And as long as I plan to do anything on this planet, I will exist in the future because that's where excellence resides. And so uh, every day I, and, and it also allows me to walk through the world each day in amazement because this day was planned five years ago, 10 years ago. So all I'm doing each day is looking at excellence that I sought to achieve five, 10 years ago. Excellence in myself, excellence in those I love, excellence in you may maybe even just the way I think about the world. And so I, uh, when I, I always tell people, you know, there were two main things that I came to that really transformed my life. Um, one was recognizing that I need to live in the future. And the second one was, you know, I 
um, needed to let go of the belief that um, uh, human human beings validate themselves. Like there, like there's a there's a um, there's a humility that you need to carry in this life. Um, that uh, I don't care whether you believe in God or not. Um, there's a humility you need to carry in knowing that what goes on in your life can't be 100% controlled by you. I don't care. You, you know, let's, let's say I am a man of faith. I love God and God loves me, but I'm saying, even if you don't, even if you're just the most logical individual, you can't tell me you believe everything good that happens in your life and everything bad that happens in your life is 100% under your control. And so if it's not, then pay deference and honor to those, to that which is outside yourself. Be humble in it and gracious in it, whether it is your failures or your successes. And if you can do that, if you can achieve that, um, then how much easier, how less stressful life becomes. And so that combined with, you know, um, living in the future, has just made me, you know, really appreciate and walk through the world in amazement and, and just see the wonder of, of all that exists around, around us. I think that that's a wonderful philosophy and it's a way of completely elevating yourself and beyond your current circumstances that you can see uh, a future, a better world ahead of you and then plot a course that's going to take you there. Yeah, you live backwards, right? You live backwards, right? So there is no price, no fee. I don't care what existence you're, you know, when you, when you, uh, you can live <clears throat> in the most down, downtrodden of areas um, and, and you cannot have a bed, you could have no clothes, you could even have no food, but you can still see the future. And so that is the one thing that you have autonomy over is your ability to exist in the future. And so, yeah, today I have no bed. Today I have no food. But in the future, I live plentiful. And now I'm going to work backwards on how do I get there? And so all those things that take place and when you can work from that direction, then you know what to say no to. Not just what to say yes to, but what to say no to. You know, um, you, you know the price you will pay uh, for um, using drugs or, or you know, any other um, roadblock because you exist in the future. And in the future, you don't see yourself strung out on a corner. Right. In the future, you see yourself you know, standing upright, helping, you know, um, all who walk the planet. And that person doesn't do that, bent over, you know, um, and bowing down to somebody. They looking up at everybody or looking them in the eye. And so, like I said, you know, I, I exist in the future. You see me today, you see me, but I'm not here. Are you and... and just right there, and I want my audience to really tune in to that, rewind that statement, play it over and over again, because that's the difference maker. 
that's the difference between somebody who's uh, playing basketball and somebody who's in the Hall of Fame. That's the difference into somebody just doing a job and somebody who's running the business. Those, those are the differences. So, And I wanted to ask you, because this is something that when I met you, first time I met you, we were, we were talking about that a little earlier, was down at an accelerator. And you, we were there to talk about how we could solve some problems with uh, technology with a cohort of, of people. You came in and you you framed the, the discussion around health and, and healthcare. And you talked about your program and you were solving a problem that was bigger than yourself. And you were very passionate about it and reusing your skill set. And you were reaching even beyond yourself. You said, we can can solve that problem. If you could frame that discussion again for our audience, I think it sure, was so sure. impactful. I would appreciate it. Yeah. So this is this is at the crux of the work I'm doing here in Las Vegas, right? So, you know, um, I framed it under the three Ds, right? And so um, the distance, dinosaurs, and those damn do-gooders, right? And so um, distance is, um, it's very... Anything you can do to reduce the distance between a provider and a consumer is going to lead to good things. It's going to lead to that humility that I talked about earlier. You know, a doctor can easily um, um, have you come to his office and ask you questions about your living conditions and look down at his chart and type it in. And, and you know, and, and I'll give you a classic example. You know, uh, so we train medical students uh, um, here at Roseman. We'll be training medical students by requiring them to do home visits. Um, and so, and they'll be assigned to uh, practice groups that have groups of low-income, medically underserved uh, families in that practice group exclusively. And they will be required to provide home visits to those households and achieve overall better outcomes with all the families in their practice group. And we'll have six of these practice groups. And so one of the things that they will uniquely understand is when you ask an individual, do you have a bug infestation in your home? And you ask that person that question when they're in your uh, office, you'll just type it down and not really probably think another thing about it. You might even say something as, so, as detached as, yeah, you should do something about that. But when I tell you, you got to do a home visit to that place with the bug infestation and you are now sitting amongst the roaches, you don't have to ask the question first off. And second, you have a heightened motivation to see to it that that bug infestation is mitigated and urgently. Because guess what? Next month, you'll be right back in that household. And so now that reduction in the distance between you and the person you care for has given you a, a, an elevated shared experience, a shared burden that sadly many of our providers uh, and, and, and those that we trust to care for us, and this could be very, this could actually be extrapolated to law enforcement as well, um, uh, that, that you just don't see in modern day that we need to return to. Then there is dinosaurs. Dinosaurs is that dinosaurs is not that the the um, the individuals providing the care are outdated, but the thinking is outdated, right? Um, so yes, I believe we should maintain some core rules, but also we should strive to think better each 
each generation, um, reflect on the lessons learned and live them out. Every generation, I don't care, even if they do provide core um, uh, foundational knowledge, they all have some regrets. They all have things that they wish they could do differently. It's our job as the, the generation that follows to pick up and not um, and not go the way of the dinosaur, <laughs> see what's going on and do something about it. Change um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And change it. Right. Don't just hear it. Don't just see the footsteps and 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 um and the fossils and think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Recognize your where you exist in and and do something about what you see. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. And then the third one is those damn do-gooders. Sadly, so sadly, many of the young people I train um, or work with or mentor are stuck in this cycle of creating success instead of solutions. And so, you know, they rather come back and tell you how they have, you know, uh, collected, raised the most money or, um, got the most people to sign up for something. But then you ask them, well, how many people's realities have been improved? And they're like, I don't know. I didn't track that. That wasn't my role. Well, then what are we doing? Which one are you rooted in? Because success is really about you. Solutions is about others. And so my whole thing, and I, you know, people have heard me say this over and over again, is if you want success, work with somebody else. But if you're about solutions, then, hey, my door is always open. But um, I'm at a stage in my life and in my career where it's not about me. It's just not. And so, uh, and, and I can't say that that, you know, is a new revelation in my life, but it's really more pronounced and I'm more, I'm more aggressive in my demand that the people around me be in that same mindset. Um, and so, uh, so, so those are the three D's, you know, we've got to, you, you want to, you want to improve the relationship. You want to create a competitive advantage, get closer to your customer. We've heard that for years. Well, remind yourself and think creatively about how you can do that. You want to you want to um, improve your bottom line. Don't go the way of the dinosaur. Sit humbly, listen to another individual, find out how they became, where their fossils lie, and, and, and correct 
and create something new that is in response to the lesson that was that was learned. And then the last one is, you know, we got to stop training these young kids to go do weekend service projects. You know, all we teaching them is is indirectly is you can solve uh, um, social problems that have occurred for generations in three days. That's all you got to give is three days or 21 days for your high school service commitment. You want to prove society? Make service with one agency longitudinally through all a high school. So you can really see how hard it is to make change in society. It's the reason why you have individuals who grow older and they say, you know, these people are lazy. Yeah, well, that's because you've never been anywhere around them. You don't know their experience other than the three days you were required to do a community service or serving on a soup line. That's not really understanding the plight of the individuals you're working with. Now, their intention might be good. They might say, yeah, you know, I really want to help people. But hey, that's a do-gooder. A do-gooder is a person who feels but doesn't do who feels but doesn't sacrifice. That's that damn do-gooder. You want to do um, well for individuals, then sacrifice with your intent. And then, and that sacrifice is going to be longitudinal over time. Help me out with that discussion, because where you're talking is so important. It's very important. And I remember you talked about something that really resonated with me. And you talked about healthcare or just health in general as a violent system, that how it deprives someone. If you deprive someone of the ability to create income, the ability to care for themselves, the ability to have food and and shelter, and that the system of itself is structurally made this way, and the ones that are affected by it, you know, are, are the ones where looking to to assist, but don't understand how that's flowing downhill. Can you just have some context around that? Yeah. So, you know, so violence at its core is about harm, right? It's about harm uh, levied by a person or a system. And so, you know, um, and it's void of intent, you know, like, you know, um, if I am, uh, and beating on you, Grant, and I'm yelling I love you all along, it don't make it any less violent than if I'm yelling that I hate you, right? So so we have to get out of this mindset that violence is only violence when it is rooted in an intent to do violence, right? Um, uh, that might play in the courts, but it doesn't play on the psyche of the, of the average individual who lives life. And, you know, you can see the the uh, the trauma of violence on the faces of the individuals coming home from that, you know, 60, 80 hour work week, who is then told when they get home uh, that they should save more or that they lazy. But, and that's why they got to work that 80 hour job. But what kind of sense does that make? What, what does that communicate to a person? I sit down, I'm looking at the television. I can't get my ends to meet. I worked 60 hours this week. I went to take my kid to Little League, 
I fell asleep at the Little League field because I'm so tired. Right. My kid want to have McDonald's on the way home, but I can't even afford it. And then I got to turn on the TV or I got to be on the phone with somebody who's telling me, well, this is all you deserve. This is all you deserve. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, there's somebody working 30, 40 hours with a whole complete, you know, reality. Now, one person will say, well, that person deserves it. They earned it, you know, because they went to college or whatever, whatever, et cetera, right? Well, we got to be real cautious about how we use that word deserve, right? Because if you're a spiritual person, you may say, no, they don't deserve it. If you are um, a person rooted in a philosophy of equity, then they may not deserve it. And so we have to you know, think about what we're communicating to people in their most dire circumstance, their most vulnerable circumstance. And that is the one where I walk through a, a, a doctor's office, or, I mean, the doctor's door or a hospital door, knowing that. They can say something. This is the part we forget. Mm-hmm. Do you just think about this? Rarely in your life will you have a time where you can, you know, purposefully walking into a building that a person can say something to you that can end your life. That could be your last real sense of hope. I mean, think, think about the power that commands over your mindset that I can walk in this building and there is any number of a person in this building who can provide me some information with such certainty that it will get me to believe that my life is coming to an end. Okay? Now, yeah. that same individual, okay, with that amount of power in that structure that can communicate that amount of distress on you, okay, is telling you, if you want to know the answer to that, though, you got to pay me. Wow. And oh, by the way, I get to set the price. There is no haggling. There is no uh, um, advanced knowledge of how much it will cost. I will tell you what it is and you will pay me. And that mindset is why you talk, uh, you you see the manifestation of of. Uh, people not trusting the system because the system is abusing its power in a violent way upon me. Minus the intent, but abusing their power on me and then getting, and then in the one place that I have autonomy, where I set the rules, you don't even want me to have that. And that's my home, right? I go home, you demonize me because I don't eat the right food. You demonize me because I choose to sit and watch a television show that makes me laugh instead of walking around the corner, walking around the block or running on the treadmill. Okay, so we have to get out of the the blame game, the judging game and, and, and get a more comprehensive understanding of the experience we're placing individuals in. And provide care from that mindset. Because even the look on your face, you know, speaks to, you know, have you ever thought about what that place, the hospital, represents uniquely? 
right? But I only shared it from the vantage point of how you feel when you go through the door. What about your wife? What do you feel when she goes through the door? What about your mother, your father, your sister, your son, your daughter, when they go through the door? You carry all of that. As the Black experience or the people of color, we have disproportionately seen negative things come as a result of going through that door. So of course we see that infrastructure as one that we can't trust, but even if we could trust it, we see it as an infrastructure that is cowering, that we are cowering under because it holds this truth about us potentially that can be the last thing we really know about real life. And so, you know, when you when you have um, those two forces acting at the same time, you got uh, no one in those in those structures that look like you, sound like you. It's a recipe for disaster. And and I'm not even getting into intent. You know, that's a discussion that we could have, you know, ad nauseum. But I just think I want to elevate the discussion around what that true experience is and what and, and then we can get at really. Um, addressing how we can do things better. Uh, you know, and I really appreciate you taking the time to to illustrate that story. You are the voice of the, the people of these that have that have suffered in, 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 in these circumstances. We hear about it at times. You, you, they put big words around it, the social determinants of health. Of health, yeah. Right. Right. And, and what does that look like? Well, you know, in, unless you grow up poor, it's very hard to understand. And, and understanding the, the environment uh, that sometimes. But you don't have to grow confused. up poor. You don't have to grow up poor, Grant, to, to know the world of the social determinants of health. What distinguishes, we all experience the social determinants of health. Okay. Um, what is different is some of us have elements of our life that make us more resilient to them than others. Okay. And so I, I hate to use this very exaggerated example, but I'll use it to provide some context. So um, my wife and I and my son, we lived on the beach in Miami. Um, it got expensive and we had to move off. So my, uh, because of our background, we are able to move to another neighborhood with an equally competitive schools and uh, equally uh, nice um, uh, supermarkets and et cetera. Okay, transpose that onto somebody who comes from a low income or underserved area. Um, first off, they do not get choice in knowing that this is uh, too expensive for them. They are told it is no longer something they can afford. And so they are displaced, they are moved out of where they are. Um, they oftentimes move to an area where the schools and the, and the resources are worse than where they came from. The most valuable thing that they have by way of their resiliency is their ties to their friends and family. And that sadly is usually disconnected as well when you move them to another area. And so it is that that creates that um, um, negative result from the social determinants of health is that we are not acknowledging that some groups and some people have different ways that they need to accommodate and um, form resilience against the social pressures that exist. That's one. 
Two, um, we start those individuals in a hole because they did not conform with the standard of how this system is supposed to work all the time. There is no room, there is no latitude for difference uh, in our economic system and in our social order. Um, and so if you step outside of it, um, unless you um, do it in a way that you can monetize it, uh, you are screwed. Um, you know, I always use the example that, uh, you know, of when I talk about this, these, these sort of arbitrary uh, economic and social orders, I use the example of school. Who, who wrote the book and the rule that said everybody got to finish school in 12 years? Like, what, where, where'd that come from? Like, why do we have to do it in 12 years? Think about it. it I, I think about my schooling, right? Um, and what happened after my schooling. I have a couple of years in there. I just blew. I know we all do, right? I, I got a couple of years after college or before college or during college, probably, where I just blew. Like, they, 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 were, they were meaningless years of fun, right? And yep. so why couldn't I put, apply those years to those 12? And so instead of getting out of school in 12 years, I got out in 13, 14, 15. I slowed down for quality over quantity. I decided that I wanted to, um, to have a more quality education than beating the clock of 12 years, right? We demonize young people for getting repeated in classes. Um, but why? What is the, where did that come from? Who wrote the book that said, Every human being that walks in the United States must finish school in 12 years, right? It's an economic order. That's what it is. It's an economic order. It's, it's you, you know, the system won't work right if everybody is not done in 12 years. The, 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 um, the, works, the work uh, force transition won't work right if I ain't got a new workforce in 12 years. Right? But, but what about the human order? What about the person order? Are they, are they prepared in 12 years? Are they adjusted enough in 12 years? And so we have to begin to, and I hope young people, and maybe this occurs after I leave the planet, but I hope we begin to challenge some of these conventions to restore order that is not rooted in economic and social, but is rooted in the needs of human beings and who we are as people. And uh, I'm so encouraged by some of the language I'm hearing around mental health and whatever. Maybe that will get us to have some of these conversations. But um, that shouldn't be a shock that uh, we talk and challenge um, uh, this convention of 12 years of school. Wow. No, you, you, you've said it. And I think those are those some of those dinosaurs that have come out. Yeah. And I think that started back in the beginning of the industrial age mm -hmm. and how they created. But here we are, we're in 2021. This is the information age. And we have a, a different uh, way of uh, looking at life perception versus reality. What does that look like? And there is a huge challenge. And this is something for the United States. I can only speak to the United States. That's been my uh, primary uh, experience. And as we look at even current leadership, you know, the, I'm looking at the age group. You know, the people that are running the country now, even in the last four or five years, have always been people of the baby boomer age. 
you know, they're 70, 80 years old. So what experience are they carrying forward? Are they really speaking to that millennial? Are they speaking to, you know, that uh, Gen X or even Gen Z? And what does that look like? Those individuals are adapting to a whole different lifestyle to which they grew up. And what does that look like? Yeah, but if we if we were invested, Grant, if we were truly invested uh, in doing what is humanly ordered, we would say, okay, people are living longer and, and wanting to work longer, right? And so to your point about the industrial age, we had people get out in 12 because people weren't living as long and we needed to replace the workforce. But what is the issue that they're seeing in Europe and we're starting to see here is the there's no jobs because those old people, those damn old people won't retire, right? Yeah. Well, instead of demonizing it, instead of making it a negative, think of the positive. We could, because they're still in the workforce, they're still paying taxes. Let's make school longer. Let's reduce the, the, the school day and give them more years to complete it. Right? Or I got another one for you. We just experienced COVID. I hear all this talk about how um, the, the mental toll it took on young people and, and the rates of, of, of mental health requests and needs for young people are through the roof. They've been locked in a place for you know a year and what are we gonna do? Here's my proposal. Let's, for the next year, teach students nothing. Just spend the whole year letting them socialize. That's it. Have them socialize for one full year. We can you know, put some stuff in there so they don't get behind, but the year should be built on just socializing. Every day you come, we're gonna have fun for one full year. We're gonna have 13th grade for now for, from this, for this, for this year. And so <laughs> what in the world would that do? Think about that. Why is that so um, bold or unconventional that we give, we put, we put kids in summer school for not getting to work? Why can't we put them in summer school to have fun? At the bare minimum, right? Hey, we didn't achieve our social goals with our young people. They got to make that up. So we're going to have a summer of fun. Right. So I don't know when to hear anybody in the education system talk about we're about the, the the human and emotional development as much as the educational. If right. you're not entertaining a conversation about giving them makeup time to this to address their emotional and uh, um, human uh, deficits as a result of this pandemic. And so that's the kind of thinking that to me we need to begin to challenge individuals on and have a dialogue about and then do something about. Um, and what's so wrong with it? But that same thinking will imagine what it'll lead to in the innovation that those young people will carry out into the world. Because if I'm in a system that says to me on the first day of school, hey, you, this year we have been fun the whole year and here's why. 
Yeah. When I graduate, I'm like, you know what? They have a good point. Well, we, you know, that's that's how we should all think. This is the challenge we have, I think, moving forward. And this is what I think living in the future has done for me. It is it has allowed me and afforded me the opportunity to see what I would like to see in the future. I want to see healthy, happy, developed young people in my future. And socially, as, as, as what I'm hearing is that that health that is a a detriment in, in our health because of the uh, and you see it played out in the workforce even. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, there's those some, those young people, you know, are consuming at a high rate, but. How many healthcare for providers are being consulted uh, in our educational work plans and our educational um, policies about this? Because if they consulted me, that's what I'm coming to the table to say. Now, they may all laugh me out of there, but I at least will have gotten an opportunity to put it on the table. But who is who's who's engaged in those conversations is another thing we have to look at. And well, healthcare, you, it's about being bold and, and understanding. Because we just said the industrial age started back in the 1910. This is 2021. Mm-hmm. We're starting to move away from gas combustion cars. We've got to start looking at electric. We've got to change the way we've been living our lives. The paradigm must shift. And it will shift. I mean, it, it will, because it has to. Life, life force will break out in other ways. This is how you get innovation to occur. Because if you stay in the same mode, you want to go out and buy you know, a, a taxi cab today. Why? Because there's Uber, right? So if you stay in yeah, that but, same mode. But it's also about, you know, what I talked about earlier about how we define deserve, right? So we, we apply that word deserve very differently for the poor and underserved than we do for the rich and, and well-to-do. The rich and well-to-do deserve as a result of their investment monetarily, but the poor and underserved are not as deserving for the human investment that they've made to the same system. And so my, your dollar is, not, is worth more than my blood, sweat, and tears and my sacrifice to my family. And, and so as long as that is the universal paradigm, uh, then we will bend over backwards to see to it that the wealthy always get what they deserve as defined by the wealthy and well-to-do. And so I'm not changing a system that will undermine the wealthy and, and well-to-do in getting what they deserve, but I will change a system that will uh, um, greatly impact what um, is deserved by the low income and underserved in this in uh, in this country, and so um, we talk equity in health as a function of uh, the cost on the system, the manifestation manifestation of disease uh, across different groups. But we really need to talk about, and this is where the social determinants of health is a powerful tool. We need to talk about equity as it relates to structural violence, structural policies and systems, and and how one income group uh, um, is is, is, uh, deserving while another is not. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that that, um, 
as long as that is allowed to persist and, and be reinforced, we're going to see unhealthy societies. And that that's well stated. And it has to change. Something, if you follow history, it, it does change. It's just how it's going to change. And if you can step out into your philosophy, look into the future and make the changes now uh, consciously instead of being the, the effect uh, of that change. Yeah, well, not even just look out into the future. You have to exist there. You have to live there. It, it, it'll free you. You know, you won't argue with another individual about what's going on right now if you exist in the future. You won't you won't uh, um, let the weight of the world that you're seeing right now get you down um, if you exist in the future, because you understand that everything that's going on right now is a function of the progress towards your future. Good and bad. You know, I always share that, you know, um, the person who uh, tells you that your idea won't work is just as powerful as the person who tells you it will. Right. Because the person who does it, who tells you it doesn't work is get, is is putting something in your mind that is needed, just like the one who tells you that it does. And so, you you know, we um, and this is that humility I was talking about. Right. <clears throat> you you aren't a hundred percent responsible for anything in your life, and if you let go and understand that, then it allows you to walk through the world in amazement at all the things that have been put on your path to get you to your excellence that exists in the future. And so that's all. Just relax in it. Walk around, see a tree, and be like, for whatever reason, I was supposed to see this tree at this time. You know, and I'm telling you this as an individual, when I was in my 20s, um, I got sick. I ended up in a coma for two weeks. And uh, people always ask me, you know, like, what, you know, what did that do for you? And I always say the same thing. I said, you know, when I came out of that, I made a pact with God. I said, you let me live and I will always see to it that no matter what it is I do, I do it in the service of somebody else. And you have me on record, every business I've had since then, every venture I've taken on since then has always been rooted in doing good for others who have less. And that, when I stop doing that, that's when my contract with God is over. And then that that may mean that that's my last day. But I, as I walk this planet, that's what I'm about. And so, um, and, and that's, you know, that's my decision. That's my mission. Um, I it hurts me to see young people who walk the planet with no mission, no vision. Right. Right. So that's that would probably be my last thing to say is that they um, find I don't care how many hours it takes, how many days, months, weeks and years, find your mission, your vision and then, you know, move towards it urgently and unyielding. And, and, and you'll be so, so happy at, at how it'll transform your life, your being, and your riches. You, you just said it. And that's what personal branding is all about. You step back. You have to define your personal mission, your personal mission, not the company's mission or the organization or association. That's their mission. And that's all good and fine. But what is your mission? Mm-hmm. What is your vision? What is your goal? And what are the things that you're engaged with? Is that in alignment? What are you learning from that? Really wake up and be conscious about what 
what's happening around you with some intentionality. That's what I just got from what you just said. And I love what you just said. That's these are perfect words. It has been a pleasure to, to have you on the My show. And I, I can't wait for it uh, to, to air. And before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience? Anything else you'd like to, to state before we go ahead and conclude? Um, I would just say, you know, uh, I think um, I'm very excited about being in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, people will begin to see what Las Vegas is something more than just uh, the place you come to gamble. Although I want you to have a good time. I believe that's important in life. Uh, we are um, launching a revolutionary new look on medical schools. Um, uh, Booing that work is uh, an initiative that I'll be leading called Genesis. And Genesis will be the component of us um, going into homes and, and helping individuals. And, um, and so uh, I want people to kind of stay tuned to that and, um, and support it. And, and support it doesn't mean, you know, money. Support it means tell, tell people about it. Get people, because, um, you know, uh, greater than a dollar for me is, um, is somebody who will support uh, something positive. And and that's that's all I'm asking is that if you if you if you do a little homework on what we're doing out here and you think it's positive, then share it with somebody else and keep positive things um, in the, in the universe. And so that that would be probably my last thing. Grant, I just want to thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Um, I'm I'm so pleased to see you still doing great work in South Florida. Thank you. Anytime you need me, anytime you need me to come and and do anything, you just you know give me a shout and I'm there for you. I, I certainly will. I really appreciate everything you just stated and the work that you're doing is phenomenal. You have changed lives. I know you changed lives here in South Florida through your programs. Because if you did not have that vision, you did not put that passion in, there are people that changed. They didn't end up in that paradigm of you know, going into crime or going into some kind of a very negative situation. They made a decision and, and got the change that they needed. And that's just a small subset of people, but I definitely would want to propagate your message and what you're doing and people like you in your field, because this is the change that we need. And I really appreciate everything that you do, Luke. There is a platform, this platform that I have is all because of mentors. I was brought here to Las Vegas by my mentor, Dr. Joe Greer. Yeah. Pedro Jose Greer, um, salt of the earth individual. He is the dean of this college. He is the reason that we see, we saw the change in South Florida. He was my boss there. He is my partner in a tech company called Humble, um, which is a, a platform that powers all the work we do. Um, so all of those things, you know, and I, I would be you know remiss if I didn't say that. You can do great things, but please, please, please um, don't forget that there are others that come along in life to help you and to, to usher you and to, to mentor you. And you need to be receptive to it and, and respectful of it. And, and that's what Dr. Greer is for. Absolutely. Well, 100%. So thank you very much again for being on Follow the Brand. You can reach us. And air, and you'll see this podcast aired at www.5starbdm. That's B for brand, 
eforevelopmentinformasters.com. And before we leave, just if they need to get in touch with you, Lou, is there a uh, email or something? How would they get in touch with you? Right. So um, uh, social media, I'm at um, iDevelop, uh, I-D-V-E-L-O-P. And uh, email wise, uh, you can email me at lbrewster, my last name, at roseman.edu. Uh, and then also, you know, I, I, we launched a podcast of our own out here. Uh, it's uh, called uh, No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete. And so uh, you, you can just search that. And we're on all of the podcast networks and and um, and YouTube. And so uh, all of those things, you can keep up to date with what we're doing out here. Some very exciting things to come. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for, for sharing that. And we will be talking uh, again soon. And maybe at that point, before that point, the Knicks will actually, did they win a playoff game? I think they did oh, win the playoff man. game. I just had to end tough. on that note. Oh, that's <laughs> tough. That's tough right there. <laughs> no problem, my brother. Right. You take care All of yourself. Right. You All too. Right. Take care now.